Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Wayne Paselli and Marty Irby are with me today. Wayne is the founder of Animal Wellness Action. Marty is its executive director and chief lobbyist in D.C. Uh, so this this podcast, what I hope uh, the three of us can do, gentlemen, is look back at 2020 and acknowledge uh, the, the victories we had or uh, and appreciate the ones that came within reach but maybe could be, can be completed in the new Congress and then certainly to look ahead towards 2021 and the prospect of gaining ground for animals uh, as well. Uh, Marty, however, um, I'm, I'm curious, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes before we get into those animal-related topics to get your perspective on recent events in D.C. Not only do you work in Congress halls uh, very frequently, but you live very close to the Capitol building. Talk about it first from a perspective of someone who, who lives there, who could hear the sirens, who went for a walk, you know, when things died down. What did you see in here? Yeah, thank you, Joe. No, I thought 2021 was going to be a fresh new year uh, full of good things happening, and, and hopefully it will be in the long run. Um, but it uh, was really such a surreal day on Wednesday of this week, today's Friday, um, to have just thousands of people storming the U.S. Capitol. You know, I worked in the building for two and a half years. I live less than three blocks away from the actual Capitol building. They evacuated the Cannon office building, which is closest to my house, about two blocks away. And then to see the actual doors of the U.S. Capitol being broken down, the windows being broken out, the Senate and the House floor both ransacked. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, I would have never thought that that would have happened. I would have never thought that people could actually break that barrier and it could be breached. It has not been breached since. 1814 during the war of 1812 of course when the british uh breached the perimeter so that's the first time in 206 years uh as it sort of wound down about 5:30 that evening i had to go outside and walk my little dog here and we walked uh just a, maybe 100 yards or so from where most of the uh worst part of the incident occurred and it was down to 30 or 40 people. There weren't that many people there. Everyone had dispersed. And you wouldn't have even known it was the same place that you were seeing earlier in the day. So fortunately, things ended quickly. They brought in 1,100 law enforcement from Maryland, Virginia, and some other surrounding states. And uh, definitely an unfortunate day in our nation's history, but something that we'll have a story to tell about for a long time. And I think it's a good time to shift maybe to some good news that came out of uh, the last Congress. There wasn't much of it for animals, but Wayne or Marty, excuse me. I liked your, your comment to um, uh, Louisville's local media, WLKY, that maybe a little surprising that Mitch McConnell ended up being, you know, a hero for animals to the extent that he was able to help usher through the horse racing integrity act. Tell us about that effort and, and, and what that law ultimately means now for horses. Yeah, no, thanks Joe. Uh, well, you're U S Senator Mitch McConnell. We had, 
um, been talking to for many, many years about this issue with the doping and horse racing, as well as other equine issues. Some of them he had been a friend to us on, some he was against us on, and some of them he was neutral on, but he ultimately got on board uh, with the Horse Racing Integrity Act. That was the original bill's name that Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, along with Martha McSally from Arizona, had introduced. And he made the bill even better by adding a provision that required for racetracks across the country to report all of their deaths, their injuries, their breakdowns, and uh, data of the like to the FTC that would be uh, placed in a federal database so that owners, trainers, breeders, anyone who is purchasing a horse could see uh, if the horse had been injured at a certain track, what tracks were having the most injuries, and all that sort of information that we've not seen before. So the, the now, the new law that McConnell ushered to passage is the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, HISA, um, we're also really, really grateful for Congressman Paul Tonko, a Democrat from New York, and Congressman Andy Barr, who's another Republican that represents uh, Lexington, Kentucky, in the U.S. House, that really worked on this legislation and got it done. And, you know, that's the first federal protection that has been enacted legislatively to protect horses since 1971. So basically 50 years ago when the Free Roaming Wild Horse and Burrow Act was signed into law. Um, that's a huge, huge uh, monumental feat uh, for me, at least, personally, of all the things that I've ever worked on. I think this was uh, the, the, the proudest accomplishment uh, of all the pieces of legislation and regulations that we've worked on. And we're so thrilled and elated to see this uh, get signed into law. It bans doping on race day and thoroughbred horse racing across the U.S., so all of the drugs that are being utilized now, whether it's Lasix or uh, pain masking agents, uh, other things that they've utilized for years, would all be illegal on race day and will also create a uniform national standard for regulation, penalties, testing, and enforcement through USADA, the anti-doping agency that caught Lance Armstrong oversees the Olympics. So I think that's definitely one for the history books. We're thrilled. Now we've now gotten six federal animal protections signed into law in uh, the first three years that animal wellness action has been in business. Excellent. Well, well, good job. And I know that uh, the organization played a large role in getting those needs broadcast and responded to. Wayne, was the horse racing industry facing kind of a do or die moment in terms of collaborating or supporting the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act? You know, I don't think it was a do or die moment, but I, I think it was it was an industry that recognized that it's been in decline for a while, and they really had to decide if they were going to continue to shrink, they were going to continue to be irrelevant for uh, younger generations of Americans who seem very less, you know, much less interested in animal-based spectator sports than ever, and you had a debate within the horse racing industry that mirrors debates in other industries within the animal protection movement, you know, any, any industry or cause, you know, what do we stand for? Who, who are we? And we at animal wellness action pointed out that however you feel about horse racing, uh, horses are at the center of the enterprise and the industry uh, really uh, makes a fundamental mistake 
by disregarding the interests of the animals who enable the entire business to occur. And of course, when you look at, you know, the doping scandals that we've seen in, in cycling and in baseball and other sports, you think, well, why do these, why do these people get a free pass to be gaming the system and doping the athletes? So I think there were voices within the industry who said enough's enough. We have been deregulated on a national perspective, you know, forever. Uh, the regulation at the state level was, was a patchwork. Uh, and it basically favored, you know, the trainers and owners who were juicing the horses. And, uh, you know, we had started this, this uh, discussion with the industry some years ago, and that continued and it gained momentum. And, you know, it really takes a lot to pass legislation in the Congress. The Congress is widely recognized and rightfully so as generally dysfunctional. Most bills that are introduced don't get a hearing. Uh, 99% of bills that are introduced do not get passed, and it takes a lot. And this was an effort where you know, different parties came together, figured it out. And as you noted, the majority leader in the Senate, he was late to the public debate. Um, he watched this for seven or eight years while this bill kind of was, was introduced session after session or Congress after Congress. And it was, it was discussed in the halls, but little action. And he got involved um, in 2020 and, and definitely made a big difference. I mean, again, whether you love Mitch McConnell or dislike him intensely, uh, he's a very smart tactician. He's very good within his caucus. And uh, he was instrumental in getting the job done. Well, we'll say thank you, uh, Leader McConnell, on, on that note. Marty, is it all the more extraordinary that um, we were able to get this done given everything else going on in the country, the, uh, the stimulus, uh, the economic po- problems relating to the virus? Well, yes, I do think it was, uh, it was definitely challenging and uh, quite remarkable that we were able to get this done you know, early in the year in January, we had a hearing. I testified at the hearing. We had a lot of momentum. And then uh, following that hearing, just about a month or six weeks later, we saw the indictment of 27 or 28 horse trainers, veterinarians, and owners that uh, had been illegally shipping drugs into the U.S. and drugging these horses. And under any other circumstances in normal times, that alone would have been enough, I think, to get this done and really brought attention to it, but the doping scandal came out about two days before COVID-19 hit, and that just completely drowned out all of the messaging related to this horse racing bill. So, of course, that's why it took us until the end of the year, and we had passed the bill through the House as a standalone bill by voice vote, had not gotten a vote in the Senate. We're looking at some opposition from one or two senators, and they decided to just go ahead and attach it to the year-end spending bill. And of course, the Associated Press did a story that day when it passed both chambers of Congress headed to the president's desk because we thought, surely, of course, this will be signed into law since everyone's agreed to it. But unfortunately, we had to wait almost a whole nother week. Um, that was uh, that was uh, not a fun week to be waiting to see whether the government's going to be funded and, and our legislation that we worked so hard on is actually going to be signed into law or not. But fortunately, it was on the 27th. And I'm glad that we've got that one behind us. We're not going to back up, though, in horse racing. We're going to continue pushing to eliminate the whip. I'd like to see the whip eliminated within five years in the U.S. 
And we're going to also continue pushing to uh, help get the right people nominated to the board of directors of the organization that will oversee all of the enforcement uh, and regulation of this new anti-doping scheme. When looking back more at 2020, I know also the uh, signing into law of the federal anti-animal cruelty law was a highlight. Talk about that and anything else you can recall positive for animals from the previous year. Well, you know, the Congress, new Congress came in in, in January of, of uh, 2019, and they run for two years before the slate is wiped clean. And the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act was enacted at the very end of the Congress. It bookended the Congress. The first bit of legislation that passed was one year earlier when Congress unanimously passed the Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Act, a federal anti-cruelty statute. Uh, I had uh, conceived of that some years ago, uh, thought that we really needed a complement to our state anti-cruelty laws. Uh, where federal property, interstate activities, federal bestiality uh, standards did not exist. So this was a very important standard for us uh, to get enacted, and the president signed this law. And uh, it was, I think, a great example of, you know, just shipping away, socializing the idea takes a while. We had been at this uh, effort for many years to get that done, and it really it came just really a year prior to the farm bill, uh, the very end of the prior Congress, when we had worked to enact a federal animal fighting law to ban animal fighting throughout the United States, to ban the sale of dog and cat meat, uh, and also to pass the Pet and Women's Safety Act to recognize the correlation between domestic violence and animal cruelty, have criminal penalties as well as money for new uh, sheltering capacity at domestic violence centers so women and their families can flee a dangerous situation and actually bring their animals with them. Because many times uh, women will not leave a dangerous situation uh, if the animal has to be left behind because the abuser uh, will threaten the life and sometimes um, injure or kill the animal as a signal to what's going to happen to the spouse or the girlfriend. So yes, those were, those, it was a bit of a burst of lawmaking. I mean, Part of it, Joe, is, you know, we're, we're happy about these advances, but there are so many other animal bills that are so mainstream and so sensible. And in some ways, it's shocking that more doesn't get done. But it just shows the founders made it difficult to pass new legislation with the way that a bill has to navigate through both chambers and get signed by the president. And then you have the dysfunction that exists in Washington, it's just been getting more acute uh, through the years, and um, that makes it difficult as well. Hyperpartisanship. We try very hard to be a nonpartisan organization and to call balls and strikes as we see them when it comes to animal welfare. I want to say just a, a personal word or two on the uh, legislation regarding creating space for pets uh, so that women may more easily leave domestically violent situations. My mother lived for years with uh, a very abusive man, and she believed until her dying day that he killed two of her dogs. She had a third, and she stayed with him for probably another year or two after those other dogs were killed because she didn't want anything to happen to this third. And it was only until we could assure my mother that 
we would find a safe home for this other dog that she was able to convince herself to finally leave uh, this man. So that is, you know, you hear, you hear that described and you think, well, you know, okay, gosh, that's nice. But it, I've seen firsthand how much women feel compelled to protect their animals, even if it means risking their own safety. So I, uh, I'm very heartwarmed by, by that piece of legislation and our work, you know, to get it, to get it through. Joe, let me just, let me, let me just say that that is, you know, we hear that this is millions of cases in the United States, right? I mean, you're talking domestic violence is uh, an epidemic in the country and animals are part of our homes and our families and our lives. And they're caught up in this, in this whirlpool. And it's a very real issue. And I think what's so important about it in terms of our work at Animal Wellness Action and our discussion today and our prior discussions, our future discussions, is that animal welfare is not some narrow concern in our society. I think it's worthy for us to be concerned about animals uh, for the well-being of those individuals. They deserve protection. Uh, they deserve to be shielded from people who would harm them for needless, gratuitous uh, purposes, whether it's you know their whims or their profits or whatever it might be, but that issue and almost every other issue we work on really shows the connectivity of animal welfare concerns to other social concerns. And animal cruelty is often so bound together with o other forms of social violence and other social ills. Uh, we of course have the pandemic. Um, nothing is bigger in terms of the connectivity of animal issues than this pandemic that we're dealing with that was hatched at a live wildlife market and in Wuhan, China, and in no time ricocheted around the world. And look at all of our issues and you see this connectivity. You know, the horse racing issue, well, what does that do? Well, the jockeys are, are put at risk when you're riding a horse that's going beyond his or her limits and breaks down on the track and the jockey you know, is killed or breaks a neck or, you know, almost all the issues we talk about are connected. And it's one really important element of our work. You know, our motto at the organization is helping animals helps us all. And it's not just a talking point. It's real. Uh, violence breeds more violence. Uh, animals are a staging ground for people and then uh, who are, who have violent instincts and then they graduate to people and we see these zoonotic diseases and other problems. It's very real. And the domestic violence issue is one that I think most people understand. And the reason that the Pet and Women's Safety Act passed is that people get it. And your experience that you had in your family was was not something that is a, is a one in a million sort of circumstance. Right. Exactly. Thank you, Wayne. Marty, we, we talk a lot on the show about what happens on the Hill, but equally important for animals uh, is what happens uh, in the Oval Office. The the executive power of the president and executive orders can make a huge difference as well. Uh, we are moving, of course, on January 20 to a new administration. What executive orders that have hurt animals can be undone by President Biden's pen? Well, I think, you know, Wayne might be a better one to answer this because there's so much related to wildlife. I know there's uh, a good number of regulations that have been pushed through in the past few months uh, that we'd love to see undone and changed. And then there's also some regulations that were rolled back 
when Trump came into office that we loved to see get into place. So, Wayne, maybe you want to hit that on the wildlife front. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a lot. I mean, presidential power. You're right, Joe is is significant. It's been increasing over time, and obviously, you know, the executive is just one branch of government, but it's an awfully powerful one. Uh, when Trump came in, he unwound a number of things that had just been been uh, completed or nearly completed by the Obama administration. The Organic Livestock and Poultry Protection Rule, which would have been the first set of federal farm animal welfare standards to influence the lives of 100 million animals, uh, was was rolled back. Uh, the anti-soaring uh, rule to ban the use of uh, stacks and chains on the horse's um, uh, front uh, legs, uh, as well as eliminating industry self-regulation, uh, was rolled back. Uh, two of the most bitter, I mean, those were both very bitter for me personally, since I had worked so hard on both of them, Marty and I worked together on, on, on them and, and, uh, certainly the soaring issue, but I had also worked very hard on two wildlife rulemaking actions. One to apply to 76 million acres of national wildlife refuges in Alaska, and then another to apply to 20 million acres of national preserves run by the National Park Service in Alaska to forbid uh, shooting wolves and bears in their dens, uh, to stop land and shoot hunting of those animals on those 100 million acres, nearly 100 million acres of federal lands, to stop the shooting of caribou while they're swimming. I mean, these are refuges. These are preserves. What a bastardizing of the names to allow the most inhumane and disgusting despicable hunting practices on these lands. And when the Trump uh, team came in, they they were confronted with a proposal by uh, the Alaska delegation to to overturn this, the two senators and the one U.S. representative. And they pushed a Congressional Review Act action, which allows the Congress to nullify a recently enacted rulemaking. They barely got it through on a party line vote. Uh, and then the Trump administration did a rulemaking on the on the national preserves piece because the preserve uh, pro the, the rulemaking related to the preserves and restricting the killing of wolves, bears, wolverines, and and others had been done prior to this window where the Congress had this opportunity for a quick nullification through simple majority votes and a presidential signature. But that rule was completed in July of 2020. Now, the Democrats who now control both chambers in the Congress have an opportunity to do their own CRAs. But because the Congress was in so many days at the end of the year, uh, it pushed back the deadline. And that rule um, on the National Park Service and the killing of the predators falls outside of that range where the Congress can readily undo it. So I don't think that will be an option. But the new Interior Secretary, whomever it is, uh, Deb Holland, the Congresswoman, has been nominated. She is an outstanding uh, supporter of animal welfare policies. I hope she undoes that. The Interior Department can do a new rule nullifying that, and they can also do a lot to restrict these terrible practices. The Interior Department can also ban lead ammunition, uh, on national wildlife refuges. Uh, we had worked with the director of the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, to do an outgoing director's order 
2017 on that issue. That too got nullified. There are all sorts of other issues. You know, there's the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and the oil drilling. Uh, there uh, are a number of other Alaska-related issues with respect to mining. Uh, there are uh, opening of, of just dozens and dozens of refuges to trapping and, and trophy hunting. So Interior is going to be very busy. There are similar things that need to be done at the Department of Agriculture. Uh, Sonny Perdue, the Agriculture Secretary, uh, even though he's a veterinarian, completely uh, abrogated his responsibilities when it comes to animal welfare. They basically stopped enforcing the Horse Protection Act dealing with soaring. Uh, they did very little on puppy mill enforcement. Um, they were quiet on all the big animal welfare issues from kind of an animal welfare perspective. So uh, it was the, those are the two most important agencies for animal welfare, the USDA, the Department of Agriculture, and USDI, the Department of the Interior. And uh, we just had really problematic leaders in both of those uh, agencies. And, and they were, you know, the U.S. Interior Department was catering to trophy hunters, ranchers, and energy extractors. USDA was catering to puppy mill operators and factory farmers. I mean, that's just the bottom line on the issue. So not since Herbert Hoover was swept out of office in the Great Depression uh, have we had a, a Oval Office go to uh, the Democrats, the Senate go to the Democrats, and the House remain with the Democrats. It's really a very exciting era for animals based on some of what Wayne was just saying. You know, Marty, what can we expect in the next two years with this Congress and a friendly White House uh, to happen for our furry and scaled friends? Well, I think it's going to be a really terrific era for the animals, both domestic and wildlife. Um, as Wayne said earlier, there's so many things that can be done through executive order and regulation with the new administration. But legislatively, uh, even though the chambers are, are really closed in margin, the U.S. Senate now has 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. So the vice president will be breaking the tie. And then I think there's an 11 or so uh, seat lead with the, de the the Democrats right now uh, in the U.S. House. There'll have to be some members that'll be replaced that are going into the administration and a few other incidents like the, the unfortunate case where the 41-year-old uh, newly elected member passed away this week. But I think that we're going to see a lot of good things come out of this Congress. The Greyhound Protection Act is something that we're really working hard on that we hope to see get done. Of course, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, I'd say, probably has the best chance of anything out there at getting signed into law. It's passed through the House. Uh, we're working hard now in the Senate. The dynamics in the committee there changed with the Democrats taking the majority. The chair will now be a Democrat, and that should free up things for uh, the Big Cat Public Safety Act and also uh, the Shark Fin Trade Elimination Act and the Bear Protection Act. Those are three that are going to be big priorities for us in the new Congress. The Animal Cruelty Enforcement Act that Wayne conceived uh, would establish a Animal Cruelty Crimes Division at the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, we're going to see that introduced next week in the House, hopefully by Congressman Joe Neguse, uh, collaborating with Matt Gates, Steve Cohen, and Buddy Carter, and then uh, in the coming months in the U.S. Senate as well. I, I know there are a number of other issues out there 
Um, but those are just a few of the priorities. Of course, as many of you know, we continue to try to work to end the soaring of Tennessee walking horses. We had a compromise last fall that we had brought together for the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act to get through the Senate. Uh, we didn't really get the support that we thought we would in the animal sector, um, I think mainly because of some personalities and things like that. But we're still going to continue to try to push to get something done on soaring. We don't believe the PAST Act is written as viable, even with a Democrat uh, leading the Senate, because it only takes one or two senators from either party to block something like that. So we're still going to have Kentucky and Tennessee opposition to that legislation. Um, and a whole other raft of legislation that, that really Wayne has come up with some terrific ideas. Um, but uh, the, the last one I'll mention is the Opportunities for Fairness and Farming Act that would uh, help clean up the corruption in the USDA's checkoff programs like the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, uh, Dairy Management Inc., and the National Pork Producers Council. So we're hoping to uh, really create transparency and accountability in that sector and stop the funds that farmers are paying in to be utilized to market their products instead being utilized to lobby uh, for policies that basically put farmers out of business and harm animals. Uh, we're looking forward to trying to get some action on that legislation in this Congress as well. Wayne may want to add, there's a, there's a slew of other legislation I know that, that you've got cooking. Before you answer that, Wayne, thank you. Yeah, um, we we had several episodes where we were very enthusiastic about the opportunity to get legislation passed and signed related to the pre prevent all soaring tactics. Uh, what can you say, Wayne, about why that didn't come to pass? Sure. Well, Marty and I both both came out of the Humane Society. I mean, I had run it for many years and and Marty ran the equine department and, and numerous other programs there. And we had done a lot of the work on the issue, not exclusively. Um, a former colleague had worked hard on it there, but we, we drove a lot of the policy with that one individual. And uh, Marty and I knew that the PAST Act had, had stalled despite our putting both shoulders fully into the fight year after year. It started in 2012, and we saw that legislation introduced, amassed tremendous numbers of co-sponsors, and then fail uh, because the Senate didn't act on it in almost every year until the last Congress. The House never acted on it, despite overwhelming support in both chambers. And it's a, a bit of a political science lesson for people. People think, oh, my God, if it has majority support, it should pass. Well, that's not the way it works. Um, the Senate especially empowers a small number of senators, even one senator, to stop business in the Senate. So based on our experience in the Senate, we thought, listen, we're going to keep hitting our head against the wall on this issue, and the horses are going to get no relief. So Marty, through some of his contacts, because he came out of the walking horse industry before he kind of entered the animal welfare movement formally and worked at HSUS, worked on Capitol Hill, and then uh, uh, became executive director of Animal Wellness Action. Marty had contacts in the industry. We didn't know where those discussions would go, but we thought, let's have this discussion and see if this industry, which has been, been buffeted by the criticism of the cruelty that goes on routinely in it, you know, might be willing to move uh, forward. So after a very, very difficult long-term negotiation, we came out with this compromise. 
Um, it offered the prospect of getting a law signed signed into the federal codes um, in December. And we thought, my God, you know, the legislative process is such that you could actually, you know, if you're not completely happy with something, you can go back and, and improve on it, which is what we did with the animal fighting law five times. But HSUS uh, stood in the way of it. I think because they were not involved in the negotiations, uh, because they didn't take time to understand what the provisions were. And this was a fantastic deal for horses, despite their their false claims about it. Um, it banned the action devices, which are, are the chains put around the horses, uh, pasterns to to induce soaring after they uh, you know hurt them in some way, thereby mechanical or chemical means. They put the chains on to exacerbate the pain that the animals endure. Uh, they put these heavy stack shoes as high as seven or eight inches on their feet. Um, and we would have reduced that shoe complex to one and a half inches at the toe down from seven or eight inches and, and uh, had a, a nylon um, uh, a, a nylon band that couldn't hold anything heavy. Uh, our compromise would have created felony level penalties for perpetrators. It would have banned this inhumane method of hurting the horse's tail that the past act never addressed. It eliminated industry self-regulation, increased the potential funding for enforcement eightfold. And HSUS, you know, stood in the way and they created confusion. Now, at the end of the day, we had the two house authors, the lead house authors, Kurt Schrader and and Ted Yoho, a Democrat and Republican, both veterinarians, they endorsed it. Uh, Mike Crapo, the lead author in the Senate, he endorsed it. But Mark Warner, the lead Democrat in the Senate, uh, was, I think, you know, befuddled because you have uh, multiple organizations um, who have a similar mission, yet they've landed on different places. He wanted the stakeholders, like a lot of legislators want, he wanted the stakeholders to be united. And I think he was just you know, confused about it. HSUS traded on that confusion and uh, time ran out. We weren't able to get it attached, even though, you know, had we had a vote on the compromise, it would have it would have passed nearly unanimously in both chambers because we finally had the industry saying it's time to end soaring and submitting to felony level penalties. So I think it was personalities. I think it was the history of um, of our being at HSUS and having led this issue. And uh, terribly disappointing. But, you know, a lot of people think, well, because we all care about animals, we're all going to behave uh, in a way that is consistent with the best outcomes for animals. And, you know, personalities and different tactical strategies, and different philosophies often intrude on that. I think in this case, it was more personalities than it was actually anything truly substantive. Uh, but, you know, we all do come down in different places uh, when it comes to a deal. Um, you know, I would never have accepted a, a deal that would would turn us back. The, the problem was, as Marty said, you know, horses have been suffering for an awfully long time as a consequence of soaring practices within the show world of Tennessee walking horses and a couple of other breeds. And that statute that was attempting to limit this was enacted in 1970. It was totally deficient to deal with the circumstances on the ground for soaring. And we had to, we had to do something to stop another 
10, 20, 30, 40, God forbid, 50 years of inaction. People had 50 years to try to get something done. Marty and I worked to try to secure an agreement, you know, that would have broken the impasse, this 50 years of no progress legislatively and had so many key elements. So I'm, I'm just so sorry uh, that, that it happened that way. But as Marty indicated, you know, the industry now has, uh, has agreed to, to end soaring and, and it would, we'd be derelict if we didn't, uh, continue to have discussions with them and lawmakers because the past act as originally done is not going to get done even with a new Congress. Marty mentioned that the majorities that the Democrats have are razor thin. I mean, you can't get closer in the Senate. It's 50-50. And then with the president, the, the vice president breaking the tie, uh, having a 51 to 50 and the House is almost the same ratio. It's not exactly tied, but it's darn close. There's basically a five vote margin. And it's very difficult to wrangle, you know, all the lawmakers. Um, and you've got to clear all these committees that are going to have similar ratios. It's going to be very difficult, even on animal issues with the Democrats who are generally much more favorable on animal welfare than Republicans. It's still going to be a very, very difficult circumstance. If there's anything that we learn the history of legislative action is that it is much easier to kill a bill than to pass it. 99% of the bills in this new Congress will die. Uh, many of them are, are embodying big Democrat ideals and liberal ideals. They will still die. All of these animal welfare issues that we're working on have tremendous support in the Congress, but most of them still die. And that is really the art of legislating and, and why, you know, Marty and I are still committed to addressing this soaring problem and ending soaring, but the past act is not going to work. Well, that's unfortunate for, for animals, and it's frustrating, I'm sure, for those of you who have put so much hard work and heart into it. Marty had tossed it to you, Wayne, to get your perspective on additional legislative and perhaps executive order-type initiatives that we might uh, look at for animals in the next two years of this upcoming Congress. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and let us know what you'll have your eye on and what uh, you'll be working toward as we go forward. Well, Marty mentioned a lot of the key ones, the Animal Cruelty Enforcement Act to create an animal cruelty crimes section at the Department of Justice. That's been a long-held aspiration of mine to get uh, some of this enforcement activity out of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is often very conflicted. Uh, USDA promotes agriculture, uh, sees animals in a, often a very utilitarian way, get it to a much more neutral arbiter, the Department of Justice, uh, which is the law enforcement arm, you know, the biggest law enforcement arm of the United States. Uh, he mentioned the Grand Protection Act. We're working with our friends at Great 2K USA. This is an issue that is is ripe for federal action now that so many states have banned the practice. Also, you know, he mentioned a number of others. We we got close in getting the Shark Fin Trade Elimination Act and the horrible practice of selling uh, shark fins in the United States. Uh, we're going to introduce new legislation, the Kangaroo Protection Act, as part of the broader campaign with the Center for a Humane Economy to stop Nike, Adidas, Puma, and other athletic shoe companies from uh, buying up kangaroo skins and driving the killing of 2 million kangaroos in their native habitats in Australia every year. Uh, there are alternatives that exist for these shoemakers. Most of their shoes are now vegan anyway, but they have remnant lines 
in in their soccer cleat offerings that are made from kangaroos. And if you think of these global sports uh, and all the billions of people who play soccer, um, uh, you've got a circumstance where even a small percentage of their shoes uh, eats up a lot of kangaroos. And that's why it's the biggest mammalian slaughter of wildlife in the world is the killing of kangaroos for athletic shoes. So we're going to introduce a new Kangaroo Protection Act. We're excited about an FDA Modernization Act. There's been obviously a lot of talk of vaccines. We had a a record um, uh, pace in getting vaccines into the marketplace and into people's uh, bloodstreams uh, in order to vaccinate them from COVID. But the general uh, new drug development process is so slow, uh, it, it, generally takes a billion dollars for a pharmaceutical company to develop a new drug, actually $2 billion, and 10 years to get it to market. Well, people are dying of diseases, and one of the things that's slowing them down are these archaic animal testing requirements that date back to 1937 in the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act. So the FDA Modernization Act will allow for the best science to occur. We're also gonna fight on our traditional issues like ending uh, horse slaughter for human consumption, uh, work for the Puppy Protection Act to crack down on puppy mills. Uh, we want to introduce new legislation um, to uh, phase out mink farming in the U.S. after the mink farming COVID connection, and also a bill to ban gestation crates for pigs because by 2022, so many major retailers, including McDonald's, pledged to get pork that comes from farms that use gestation crates uh, out of their supply chains but the pig industry has not been converting uh, quickly enough. And uh, we're going to face a, a crisis in that these major retailers are going to say, oh, we can't get enough of the product. Therefore, we have to continue to rely on these uh, ex- intensive confinement factory farms to draw the pork from. And we want a national policy to, to uh, address that. So Joe, it's a lot of content, a lot of stuff. That's why we've got a website animalwellnessaction.org. We want people to regularly study our our blogs and our our fact sheets, our uh, action area on our website so people can write to their lawmakers. It's going to be a very big, brisk agenda, not just in Congress, but as you said, with the executive agencies, particularly the Department of Agriculture and Interior, but also Commerce, Justice, State, and many other agencies that have... uh, something to do with animals in our society. Wayne, Marty, thank you. Uh, It it sounds like a lot. Uh, And obviously, as we record this on January 8th, we've got another 12 days until uh, the inauguration, and we can finally turn the page. Um, And who knows what will happen between, you know, now and and then. But uh, I guess you you might say it feels like there is light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to making movement forward on animals. Yeah, Joe, I want to say that I, I think that we are able to work with, with almost any kind of Congress. Republicans controlling both chambers, Democrats controlling both chambers, the chamber split, the presidency held by a different party. Uh, we have to be able to work in a bipartisan way on animal issues. Opposition animal cruelty should be a universal value. That's the attitude that we exhibit when we walk into an office or we talk to lawmakers or their staff on Zoom. Uh, Generally speaking, the Democrats um, have been better. 
They represent more urban districts, more suburban districts. The Republicans have gone more rural. Uh, there are reasons and explanations, I think, for some of the political proclivities that exist. Uh, but never is it easy. Uh, this won't be easy with very divided Congresses. You know, people say, well, the Democrats are in control. They are barely in control. And uh, uh, the Republicans will have a lot of power, especially in the Senate, but certainly in both chambers. Wayne, I'm glad you said that because it is easy for me, and I'm sure it's easy uh, maybe for many of the people listening, listening to this podcast to paint with the proverbial broad brush uh, to overly generalize uh, how things should work when it comes to whether there's an R or a D after a particular uh, legislator's or executive's name. So, so thank you for saying that, and that's certainly true. I appreciate that. Marty, any final thoughts? No, we're just looking forward to a great new 117th Congress. We think we're going to get done. Uh, we're going to get more done this Congress than we have at any point in time. And I'm really excited about things moving forward and glad that Wayne has come up with so many terrific ideas. I mean, there's something I learn every day from this guy and, and others about these terrible abuses. And I think we're really on the forefront of things and we are the innovative uh, hardworking model that's on Capitol Hill getting things done. Great. Thank you. And listeners, we can't get it done without you. We need you to be informed. We need you to contribute time, your emotional energy, your financial energy to learn how to do that and to plug in. As Wayne said a moment ago, go to animalwellnessaction.org. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Find Marty and Wayne on those platforms as well. Uh, it is going to take all of us, uh, no matter what the legislative landscape looks like. It takes the people speaking through their representatives to get the work done. So thank you for listening to this podcast and uh, mention the website. Go there for all of our news and information. You can sign up for our news alerts and um, be sure and subscribe to this podcast. iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. Uh, if you can go there and give us a, a five-star rating or leave a favorable remark that helps us reach new audiences and lifts us higher on the list of podcasts. I've been your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast. Mm -hmm.